0: We're beginning our first new conversation at Discovery since December. We did this long journey through the book of Matthew, and we did split that up into seven parts. But this is our first kind of fresh conversation in a while. And we're calling it Our Kind of Crazy. And I'm going to explain that here for just a few moments. But before I do that, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, join me in Acts chapter 2. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and someone on our team will come around and make sure that you have one of those. You can also keep that if you need to take that home with you. That's totally fine, uh, our gift to you. And then you can follow along on the screen or the app or your phone, all these other ways as well. But as you're finding Acts chapter two, a little bit about this conversation we're calling Our Kind of Crazy. The idea here, the title, comes from the reality that anytime you get a group of people together, that group is going to have its own type of crazy. And one of the best ways to think about this, I think, is through the lens of family. You've probably all had this experience as a kid of going over to someone's house, a friend's house, for the first time. And there's that moment when you get into uh, that house, especially, again, if it is your first time there, where you just have this like, very visceral reaction of like, oh, this is a new place. This is different. It smells a little different. It feels different. You can, you can tell that there's different rules and expectations in this home. Now, these differences are not necessarily good or bad, but they're just real. There's just a different flavor to families. There's different flavors to communities. Quick side note, I loved going over to friends' houses because it usually meant one of two things. It meant getting to watch a movie that I was not normally allowed to watch, and it meant eating sugary cereal. (laughs) Praise Jesus, right, for sugary cereal. Every family is different. Every community is different. Every group of people has their own kind of crazy. Are you with me? Now, this this idea of crazy, I I think probably a better word or maybe an easier word to digest is the word culture. And this is certainly a word that's become buzzy in church. It's very buzzy in uh, like business conversations. Brian Chesky, founder of Airbnb, says culture is simply a shared way Of doing something with a passion, a shared way of doing something with a passion. And so, for the next several weeks, what we are going to explore is our culture, our shared way of doing something with a passion. Now, this, of course, raises the question well, what is our something? (laughs) What are we doing? And our something is this mission that Jesus invites us into. And I don't normally like to do this, but I'm going to plug last week's sermon a few times in the coming weeks because it is a very foundational for where we are going in this conversation. As we wrapped up Matthew and as we landed Matthew chapter 28, the last couple of verses, Jesus gives this big mission to his disciples, right? Go disciple all nations, And the way that we say that here, to use our language, we exist to help people discover the good news of Jesus. This is our mission. This is our something. And we are passionate about it. We're willing to be a little bit crazy about this in order to help accomplish the mission. Now, some of the next questions, especially for those of you who are like detail-oriented people, how do we do this? What does it look like? Okay, that's great. Helping people discover the good news. Well, what does that actually mean? And that's where this series really comes into play. Okay, for the next several weeks, we're going to look at at things like vision and values and strategy, the how, the texture of of how we go about accomplishing this mission. Now, a couple of things I want to say to help frame this. One is this. We hold all of this Loosely, always. We, we believe that we uh, follow and trust a God who is living and active and who speaks and who can change our direction at any moment. So we hold all of this loosely, and yet it's so important to name some of these things, to, to be really clear about who we are and who we want to be, to be really clear about our vision, what we are going after. All right, so again, holding this loosely, our big vision it is for our church in the next five years to be a part of planting a new church. And the way that we're saying this is our vision is to be a multiplying church that plants multiplying churches. Now that's a big vision, right? That's a big goal. You may be sitting here this morning going like, whoa, what? how are we ever going to do that? But there are many smaller steps that we have to begin taking in order to get to that big goal. One of them is to start seeing multiplication at a very small level. Disciples, leaders, and groups before we even get to this like, level of church. Now one of the ways that we are thinking about this vision is through a picture. And the picture that we've sort of hit on as a community is the picture of a bridge. Our goal in the next several years is to get really, really good at building bridges. So here's the thing. If you ever get lost or confused about who we are and what we're talking about, if you're like, okay, what is our mission again? Just remember the name of of our church, Discovery. That's our mission. And if you ever get lost, okay, what are we going after? What's our vision? Just think about this picture of a bridge. Now, some of the bridges that we hope to build are are, are fairly simple, right? Just in between individuals. We want to connect people to people. People getting to know each other, making friendships, getting connected in groups and different kinds of community here at Discovery. People building bridges with their neighbors or their classmates. These gaps that exist between people, we want to start bridging some of those gaps. Some of these bridges, are a little bit more complex than that. For example, there's always this challenge in Davis about how do you connect college students with, with locals, this sort of city-campus divide. We want to get really good at building bridges between students and people that call Davis home for the long term. Some of these bridges are even more ambitious than that, and we're in the process right now of building bridges with local organizations who are doing good work, meeting real needs here in our community, both in Davis and in Woodland and in Yolo County. We're building bridges with organizations sharing the good news of Jesus around the world. James Sang, one of our mission partners, is here this morning. If you guys get a chance to talk to him about his work with students in Arizona, that's a bridge that we've been building for a couple of years. So again, our mission is to disc- our vision is to build bridges. Now, again, getting more deep into the texture of how we do this, the next four weeks, sort of the first part of this series is a deep dive into our core values. We have four core values, and this is going to help us understand even more the how. How do we go about accomplishing this mission? All right, so our first value, and this gets us right into the heart of our mission and vision. Our first value is the value of relationships. And you heard Jason share a little bit about his experience with that in that video. Now we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 2. So look with me at Acts 2. We're going to read through verses 42 to 47. If you have been in church for any length of time in the last several years, undoubtedly you've heard somebody speak on this text before. Acts chapter 2, this picture of the first organized church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, so much has been said about this picture of the first church. It's oftentimes... Held up as the ideal for what Christian community is supposed to look like. And, and that's, I think, a really good thing. There's a lot of truth to that. But sometimes we get so caught up in the ideal of what this looks like, we forget or, or we lose sight of just how radical, how countercultural this community was and is. I mean, imagine if this church were plopped down in the middle of Davis right now. People would not know what to do with it, right? One of the things that I hope we see as we talk about our kind of crazy, as we talk about our culture and our our vision and our values, is that we begin to see, oh, wow, this is very countercultural. Now, our values, I think, have a lot of overlap with deep human needs and desires. But the ways that Jesus meets those needs and desires is often very, very different from what is given to us, what is sort of told the way to do that by By our world. And we talked about this a lot in our our journey through Matthew. But for a a lot of us, we spend our life, if you think of our life as an airplane, we spend our life flying upside down. And and it looks good. The gauges look level. But we're flying upside down. And what Jesus does in in this radical countercultural kingdom is flip us right side up. To where we're now oriented properly towards the horizon. Towards what is good and true and true. And, real. and we see this same process very much at play in this picture of the first church. So the way we're going to look at it this morning is this. We're going to look at five words that I think highlight how countercultural this community was. And so uh, then make the connection to five ways in which our value of relationships subverts the culture here in Davis, the culture in the West, even the culture of our world. So the first word we're looking at is the word devoted. This community was devoted to a lot of things. The apostles teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to eating together. And it doesn't say this directly, but I think it's very clear. They were devoted, and this might be the most radical part of the whole thing, they were devoted to each other. Devoted to each other. Now a word that comes up all the time, When we have conversations about Davis and the way that this community works, the word that comes up all the time is the word transient. Now, some people, this is almost a dirty word, so just be careful who you say this to, but it's just true, right? There's a lot of people coming in and out of Davis all of the time. Transient means lasting only for a short time or impermanent. Now, some of that is just the reality of living in a college town. Not everyone who comes here is going to be here for decades, But this is not just a Davis issue. We live in a moment where there are more people on the move around the world than at any time in human history. And some of that is economic reality. Some of that is geopolitical reality. Some of that is related to natural disasters that happen. Some of it is simply technological, right? It's easier to move now than it has been really at any other time. But I think also, underneath all of that, there is this deeply rooted restlessness, especially here in the West. There's this sense of independence that can work against community and devotion, an independence that undermines relationships. And too often, I think we treat relationships the way that we treat our phones, They're super useful, very important. They're close to us for a period of time. But ultimately, they're disposable. We're going to upgrade that thing as soon as the next model comes out. This is how a lot of us treat our relationships. And and this is where I need to confess and admit that I have been very much a part of this. Uh, From the time that I've turned 18, I've lived in Stockton, I've lived in Salinas, I've lived in Durango, Colorado, I've lived in Boston, I've lived in Oakland, and now I've lived here in Davis. That's six cities in about 20 years. And in some of those cities, especially in Boston, we moved a lot. That's been a lot of addresses and a lot of neighbors. And again, some of that is just the reality of the world that we live in. Some of that, I think, is just my own restlessness, but as I get older, I am, I am discovering the good news of being rooted in one place. And, and as best we can, we are in it for the long haul here in Davis. But this is not going to be true for all of you. Not all of you will be here for years and years and years. And so let me speak to students here uh, specifically just for a moment. How do you devote yourself to community when you might only be here for two, three, four, five years. This is where I think about some of my friends. I'm going to put some people on the spot here, but I think about Lauren, Amanda, John, Caleb, Pamela, Heath, and so many other students who are serving on our staff, who, who are serving on our core teams, who lead here, who are in discovery groups, who are going on missions trips with us, who are even giving and tithing, and that is just amazing to me. That's what it looks like to be devoted, even if you are only here for a a period of time in your life. And and students, by the way, if you start those kinds of practices now at this stage of life, it's going to put you way, way ahead of the game for wherever God may call you and lead you next. But for all of us, whatever stage of life we might be in, we have to wrestle with this question. Do we treat relationships as disposable or something we devote to be doves to? At Discovery, we want, we strive to be devoted to one another. Now, our second subversive word is the word miracles. Now, depending on your academic background or even sometimes your theological leanings this word might freak you out a little bit but to my my hyper rational science friends there are parts of our universe that are unexplainable even by science right there's a weirdness to our world that we can't always explain and to my stuffy theological friends if you don't have room for miracles what bible are you reading like come on Okay, We have to have room for the the unexplainable. We have to have room for God to move and show up in ways far beyond our wildest imagination. And this certainly is true of this first church. And I think it's true or should be true of any church. Seeing God move in unexplainable ways. In the past year here at Discovery, we've seen God do all kinds of amazing things. People taking risks, taking steps of faith, getting involved in teams, serving in different ways, forgiving each other, seeking reconciliation, getting baptized, all sorts of ways that people have been leaning into this. These are miraculous moments. We've seen God provide for our needs as a church in ways that we cannot explain. Money showing up at different times uh, and and, um, from sources where we had no idea. We've seen God uh, bring us amazing people to be on our staff, to be a part of our church and our community. God has been working here in miraculous ways. Now, miracles can happen in all sorts of ways. I think one of the problems we have is that sometimes we think a miracle is a, like a really big thing, right? But don't mistake the scope of the miracle for the reality of the miracle. That was pretty good. I'm going to say that again, okay? Don't mistake the scope of the miracle for the reality of the miracle. Just because it's a small thing doesn't make it any less of a miracle. A countercultural church will see miraculous things happen. And so the question for us is do we have the eyes to see that? And maybe even more importantly, are we praying for miracles, expectant that God will show up, that God will work beyond our wildest imaginations? Now, third countercultural word is the word tangible. The first church experienced miracles, experienced God's presence, experienced community, but experienced them in very real ways. One of the things that I have noticed is that there's a lot of talk about community and relationships, Uh, not necessarily here, but just in general in church circles, lots of talk about this, but not a lot of tangible reality. But these guys, they, they, they met together. They met together daily. They bumped into each other. They saw each other. They could smell each other. They offended each other. They had to figure out how to work through all of that together as they ate meals. And then they also did crazy things. They sold stuff, possessions, land, whatever it took to meet each other's needs. What does this look like here? I've seen this in so many different ways. Oh, you need a babysitter. I can help. You need a lawnmower. Borrow mine. You need someone to help you move. We'll be there. Just make sure you have some pizza, please. (laughs) You don't have enough to eat. Let me bring you a meal. I think this is very, very countercultural in Davis, especially because we are so self-sufficient. And for many people here, it's very easy to take care of your own self. You have your own house and your own car and your own stroller and your own books. Why do you need to share when you already have all of your needs met? This is where I want to brag on my discovery group for just a moment. We eat a full-on, legit feast every Sunday. I've never been a part of a small group that does this. And yet we, we pray and we study the Bible. We do all of those things together too. But we also, again, watch each other's kids. We have these text chains going with ridiculous gifts of the office and all this kind of stuff. And we even have a wood shop class that's emerged out of our discovery group. These are real, tangible things. And so the question for us here is, are we willing to sacrifice some of our independence in order to be more devoted to one another? Are we willing to sacrifice some of our independence in order to be more devoted to one another? Fourth word is the word favor. The early church certainly faced persecution. And as you trace the story through the book of Acts, it it, it almost just gets worse and worse the deeper into mission that they get. And so I think for us, there's a, a question here of, you know, if we're not getting any pushback, if we're not experiencing any persecution, what are we doing? But the flip of that is also true. A church that is devoted to one another and to the good of its community, a church that is devoted to helping people discover good news, will find favor because you're pointing people towards, you're bearing witness towards good news. We've been very fortunate here at Discovery to find favor with the city of Davis, primarily through our partnership with the 4th of July event each summer. And if you've not had the chance to... Uh, experience that or participate in that. Hopefully you get a chance to do that in this coming year. It's been a great way to, for us to be a blessing to the city. We have found favor in that way. But I think there's a lot of questions here for us as well. How can we keep building and strengthening that bridge between the church in the city and then on a smaller scale, what does it look like to find favor with the people in our lives, our coworkers, our professors, our classmates, our roommates, our neighbors? What does that look like to experience favor with those people? Now the final word here is the word growth. Okay, the, the scene ends with us being told that their numbers were added to daily. And I think the order of events here is really important. It doesn't say in order for their numbers to grow, they went out and did all of these things. They did miracles and they ate ate together and they prayed and all this stuff. No, this was the byproduct of their radical countercultural devotion to one another. Their numbers grew. And, And this leads into a tension that I often hear with this passage. I think there's this interpretation, it's very popular right now, that to experience acts to community, you have to be really small. Now, there is some truth to that, right? On a personal level, we can only, social science shows, we can only manage 150 connections. And one of the reasons we value groups, discovery groups, small groups here is for this very reason. You need that sort of space and environment to go deeper with people. But this was not a small church. Acts 2.41, they started out with 3,000 people and then verse 47 says that number grew daily. This was a mega church from the get-go. You do not need to be small to experience this sort of community. And again, when you are pursuing these things, devoted to one another, seeing miracles happen, meeting tangible needs, finding favor, your numbers will grow it's not about the size of the church it is about the focus of the church and here at discovery our focus no matter what our size might be our focus is on people <clears throat> helping people discover the good news now each of our values has this corresponding hashtag this little Catchphrase that's that's designed to help illuminate the idea, make it a little bit stickier for us to, to get connected to. Okay. Our hashtag for relationships is better together. And we believe that this hashtag summarizes in two words everything that we see here in Acts chapter 2, right? The power of together, of being devoted to one another. Again, subversive. I think Davis culture, I think Western culture preaches better separately. You know, just you do you and don't be beholden to anyone else. Now, what's interesting is that at the same time that's that sort of kind of, you know, the ethos in the air here, and again, I think in our country as a whole, Corporations and marketers have caught on to this hashtag. I'm not saying that we invented it or anything like that, but you'll see this show up in a lot of different places. Right now, in particular, McDonald's and Coke have a partnership, and on social media, they're promoting this partnership with the hashtag #BetterTogether. McDonald's and Coke. Now, we can be a little bit cynical about that, or again, we can see just how subversive this is. Because we're not just combining, you know, a drink and fries. We're living out the kingdom of right relationships. Better Together is not a marketing slogan. It, is, it, it, it reflects the deepest reality of the universe, that God himself is community. Three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Spirit, has always existed in this perfect community of right relationships and created us to be a part of that relationship with him. And then when we broke relationship, went after us, especially in the person of Jesus, that we could continue to be in that community of relationship with him. Better Together gets right to the heart of what is most true about the world. Now, one of the the ways sort of illustrate what this looks like for us, one of the ways we live out this value is to put people above programs. I grew up with the the mantra in church that excellence honors God and inspires people. Okay, I can recite that uh, just, you know, in my sleep. And, And I think there's a lot of truth to it. I actually really love that phrase, excellence honors God and inspires people. However, sometimes the excellence can get elevated above the people. Here, we are more interested in people. The mission is people, helping people discover. And so what that means is that there are times when we take risks on people who might not be polished and perfect. I certainly had no idea what I was doing the first time I led a small group. And God knows my first sermons were terrible. But there were people who took a risk on me who created an environment, a safe environment for me to try some of these things out because they were more interested in me and what God was doing in my life than in a finished, polished product. This is one of the ways that I have experienced the good news of Jesus in my own life. And this is what we want to do for as many people as possible. And we do this, one of the ways we do this is by prioritizing relationships Over results. And this really gets us to the heart of the gospel. Right? The good news is that God values us more as people than as performers. More as people than certainly our perfection, because we can never be perfect enough, right? Last week we said the, the gospel in one word is Jesus. And this is so vital, I think, to our understanding of what we are all about because the gospel is not an idea or a philosophical statement. It is a person. And people relate to each other personally. I know this sounds simple and straightforward, but we just have to say it over and over again. Now, the problem with the world in which we live in, what we call sin, is that we are separated. Separated from God and separated from each other and what God has done in Jesus is create a way for us to be connected again because we are better together and that's again not just about us sitting in a circle feeling good about ourselves that's about God's work in our life reconciling us to him and to each other the New Testament writer Paul says it this way if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us. And this is a big fancy word for making our relationship good again. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God draws us to him, makes right relationship between us, and then gives us the mission of inviting other people to enjoy that right relationship too. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. There is a relational texture to the universe because God is relationship. And therefore, to be fully human. To be redeemed, restored, reconciled to God is to be in right relationship with Him and to be pursuing right relationship with each other. Again, Better Together, not just about marketing, not just a clever slogan. It gets right to the heart of what God is doing in the world. Now to close, uh, each week uh, for each of these values, we're going to end with a challenge. And the challenge today is very straightforward. Just a question for you. Are you in environments where relationships can grow and flourish? Here at Discovery, we think about three different environments for relationships. Gatherings, groups, and generosity. You are at a gathering. So well done. Okay? Feel good about that step, all right? This is a great space to begin Building bridges to begin meeting people and forming those kinds of connections. But it's really those other two environments where we get into this radical, countercultural, devoted to one another type of relationship. So the challenge for us this morning is, are you involved in those two environments? Have you joined a group? Are you serving generously? Now, generosity for us, very broad category. This can be anything from having your neighbor over for coffee to serving on one of our Sunday morning teams, to serving our community during the week, uh, to tithing, all kinds of different ways that you can be involved in generosity. Specifically, though, we got to hear this morning from our Sunday gathering teams, and you should have gotten a, a, what's called a serve card uh, when you came in. If you did not get that, they'll be at the connection point tent. And that's a very simple way to just say, hey, I'm interested uh, I, I thought Alex was really funny. I want to be on his team. You know, grace inspired me. I want to be with kids. Whatever, whatever team you sort of sensed God was calling you towards this morning, that's one way to sort of start that process. You can also talk to anybody who is up here as well. They'd love uh, to talk to you more. One other thing I would say about uh, serving on Sunday morning, for some of you, th- there might be a sweet spot where you're like, oh, I can do that. that is, that's totally me. Go for it. But for others of you, there might be one of those teams where you're like, oh, I could never do that. Or that sounds like really hard and and risky. Pay attention to that. That might be God inviting you into something new. All right? So serve generously with us. And then the other environment is groups, our discovery groups that meet uh, in homes during the week. And I totally get that if you're, you know, not connected to a group or don't have a lot of experience with small groups, this is an intimidating environment. We're asking you to show up at somebody's house in Davis where you've never been before, knock on the door, and then hang out in their living room for two hours for what might be a great or horrible experience, right? That's a, that's a big risk. I'm just being honest here. But if you can press through a little bit of that awkwardness, groups are so important. This is where we are known. This is where we share the ups and downs of life. This is where we pray for each other. This is where transformation transformation is named and celebrated. This is where we call greatness out of each other. This is where we break bread and meet tangible needs. These are the people who will help you move and who will drive you to the airport at 4.30 in the morning. These are the people who will send you encouraging messages the day before your test or your big presentation at work. The uh, The way our groups work here. They meet again throughout the week in homes. They they track with the conversation on Sunday morning. So creating space to go deeper with whatever the Sunday morning topic is. And they're where we figure out what it means to follow Jesus together. What does the good news of Jesus mean for me at this stage of life in this particular place? Our group leaders are around this morning. They'll all be at free student lunch later. Um, if you want to talk to one of them, do that. If you want to know more, you can always ask me, send me an email. You can sign up on the app. Do whatever it takes to get involved in a group. Now, uh, I'm going to take a moment here to prepare us for communion. So, band, I'll actually invite you guys to come up here while I, I close this out. But as we get ready for communion, which is the highlight of our gathering, we do this every Sunday, Partly to remember what Jesus has done for us, but also partly because the word itself is a communal act. It's where we remember together what God has done on our behalf to reconcile us to him and to each other. I want to give us one more thought as we get ready for communion today. Very early in John's telling of the Jesus story, there's this little verse that's very easy to to blow right past. John 3.22, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. The the word uh, spent time in the Greek is the word diatribo. And that word literally means dia is against, tribo is rub. It means to rub against. Now, this may not be the most appealing way to talk about community, but hang with me for a minute, Okay. Maybe a less uncomfortable way to say it is to rub off on each other. They went and spent time together. They rubbed off on each other. They got to spend time with Jesus. And again, for us in groups, this is where we diatribo, where we spend time together, where we are formed in relationship as disciples of Jesus. I love Jason's story. And if you get to know him, you know he's taken some, some great steps Uh, to be a part of this community even over distance. And he's taking steps to to get closer to David so that he can be more involved in this community. That's what it looks like to be devoted. And so the question for you this morning is, is, what is that thing for you? Which environment do you need to get more involved in? Which relationship do you need to pursue with a little bit more intentionality? What does it look like for us to be devoted to each other? You cannot... Follow Jesus on your own. You cannot experience the kingdom of right relationships in isolation. And so what step towards devoted community, towards relationship, do you need to take this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, we begin this moment confessing that in a lot of ways we do treat relationships as a disposable thing. And God, if that's been sort of our pattern in life, we uh, we just, again, we confess that, we bring that to you. We, we want different patterns in our life. And we want to experience devotion to one another. That begins, I, I think, by responding to the good news of what Jesus has done for us, which we remember in communion, his sacrifice on that cross on our behalf, that we can be in right relationship with God and with each other. Help us to remember that today, God, and continue to draw us deeper into your kingdom of right relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.